Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Texas Podcast and Glass. It's real simple what we do here. We want to have conversations about life outdoors, most about, about the coast here in Matagorda County area, but I promise you we're going to reach out as far as we can imagine to bring in professionals that are really good at what they do. Guides, outfitters, biologists, researchers, gear gurus, pitmasters, executive chefs, those that can just help us out. You know, the outdoors is one of the things that connects people. There's something special about getting out there and enjoying your time with your friends and your family, and so we hope on this podcast to simply help us do that better. We want to bring folks in to share about current conditions, strategies, common sense, conservation, and how to do things better. You know, God gave us the creation and gave us those outdoors in the hope that we all, as we enjoy it, want to take care of it at the same time. So stop in from time to time, and we're going to invite folks in just to share conversations with friends and Folks, it'll soon become friends, and I hope that you enjoy this episode once again. Thanks for tuning in to Texas Podcast and Blast, and let's see what we have on tap for today. Welcome to episode two of Texas Podcast and Blast. Uh, it's real exciting to see how much interest we're getting as we launch this new effort, and I hope that you've already listened to episode one, where our good friend Captain Bink Grimes uh, caught us up to date. And here we are, second week of May, and We have some more good news and some more we hope what we're going to see, but, uh, you know, our guest today is Captain Glenn Ging, and it's just really good to have another good friend of mine on. And, you know, just right off the bat, I just kind of want Glenn to introduce himself. And, uh, you know, Glenn, you grew up around here, didn't you? Yes, sir. That's right. And were you telling me you attended kindergarten in in Matagorda? I did. I attended uh, kindergarten at Matagorda Elementary. (laughs) I sure did. And, you know, through your years, uh, you know, Captain Grimes was on, and and he just was self-confessed, like you and I. He didn't get to grow up down here like we did. He was a Chamber County boy, and he married into this. But you grew up around here. You married a girl from here. And when y'all moved back here in your adult life, you had a really interesting way you got into the outdoor business. Yeah, that's right. When when we got out of when my wife and I got out of college and came back, um, her family uh, had purchased a sporting goods store here, uh, Den Sports headquarters, and we were in the retail sporting goods business for a few years, and uh, and that's kind of how I got started in it. You know, and anybody who's doesn't have any history of Bay City and Matagorda County. Den's Brothers was on the square, and that was the store that you went in to get your Little League team outfitted. That's where you would go to get the latest plug that was coming out on the market. That's where you got your rods, your reels, your hunting license. It was it was a full-service outdoor that's before right. the academies and the bigger stores took the mom and pops out of the business. That's right. It was very unique, very and, unique. And so as you entered that uh, that that set the outdoor sales y'all ran the store literally correct? yes we did yeah we were there day to day um from when after we after we purchased the store we we moved you know we built a new uh building and moved to a new location and that was down on we south 60 on south highway 60 yeah. and um and yeah we were we were there doing the day-to-day and um you know i did uh lots of rod and reel repairs and all of the tackle and hunting stuff and my, my wife took care of the team sports and the uh, trophy shop and the screen printing shop and all of those kind of things wow and so just one weird question i just thought of who's your favorite vendor to deal with when you were in that side of the business 
Oh gosh, I don't what, know. We had some really good line? ones. Um, you know, we had we dealt at that time. We dealt a lot with with Ray Distributing and in Victoria, and had a really good salesman, uh, Gary Carville. He was a really great guy. And then and, and what products? And fishing. Were, that was that was fishing lines. He they just kind of were a general wholesaler for fishing tackle. Okay. And then um, and then Mark Bidding with with uh, Delmar Distributing was was uh, one of my salesmen. They were from Corpus, kind of a similar deal. And those two guys. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time with and got to know really well. And those were probably my kind of a couple of my favorites. There were some other good ones. My uh, Dean Russell uh, was one of the factory reps, and, and Tim Locker was a factory rep that came in and sold us, you know, just a variety of different lines. And those, those guys are still uh, good friends of mine to this day. You know, I, I keep in touch with them. And, uh, and you know, they still are in the, in the business, and they, they're still repping different different lines but you know one interesting uh how often do you pull tackle out of your console or out of your out of your tray now i fished with you i know kind of how you do things and you look and say man that one plug just hadn't changed since you were selling them back oh, in the day absolutely there's a lot of a lot of things that haven't changed a lot has but a lot hasn't you yeah know, there's a lot of i still throw bass assassins a whole lot and that was the hot bait at that time yeah. you know and and uh we were there during that time period that we had the store was when things like the the she dogs came out actually top dogs she dogs all of those you know and uh those were all new at that time and they're still going strong today Mm, mm. and so back in that part of the business i'm just curious uh did y'all have out-of-towners like call ahead and say give you like an order and when they come in and pick stuff up from you or make sure they got here before you closed on Friday on their way to Matagorda? Or? We caught a lot of traffic coming through to, to Matagorda. I don't, I don't remember necessarily a lot of them calling ahead and, or, or, you know, I had some guys down the coast that I would, we had some lines that were harder to get that they would call me and I would ship them stuff. Like at that time we were selling corkies and we had, you know, guys down at Rockport and, and down that direction that would call me and I would ship them, you know, I'd ship them baits down there. Is that still when Corkers were being sold out of his garage? That's right, yeah. yeah. Back in yeah. the early days. Yeah, we were one of the, there was only a couple of stores that he would sell them to and, and uh, you know, Mr. Brown would come up and sell us baits and we would, you know, and that that predated when we had the store even. They they were selling Corkies before we, before we were in there. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and, and speaking of that Corky, uh, you know, in a few weeks we're going to have Captain Chris Caldwell, who uh, for some reason he has fallen in love with that bait, and Absolutely. he continues to yeah. throw it, and it gets. So, tell me what step, uh, what step was taken when you got out of the outdoor sales and stepped into the guiding world? Well, through having the the sporting goods store, I met Mike Ladnier, uh with Bay Prairie Outfitters and got to know him. He was a customer of ours. And um, we got together, um, I guess, somewhere in the late 90s, um, maybe early 2000. We got together, and I, and I started um, guiding uh, waterfowl hunts for him. I guided duck and goose hunts and, uh, for him for several years, and that's kind of what got me started in the, in the guiding business. And when did that step over to the rod and reel side? Well, you know, what would kind of what happened was, we would we would be out there goose hunting and laying in the spread, and back when you know, we had geese. Back when we had geese, <laughs> and we'd be laying in the spread, and and conversation like every day would turn to fishing. It just never failed that we would lay in the spread and talk about fishing, and it never failed that my my hunters always would say, "If we come back in the summer, will you take us fishing?" And and I, after I heard that time and time again, I thought, you know, 
<clears throat> I'm kind of missing out here. I, there's a good opportunity here. So I actually got my, I got my captain's license in 2002, and um, and start and I ran a few trips, took some of those guys fishing, and um, that was about the time that we were getting out of the sporting goods business. And and I, when my wife and I started teaching. Mm-hmm. And so you got two Aggie graduates move back to their hometown, end up in the school system, and you're started out running duck and goose hunts, and then you're getting more into the fishing side. And once you started fishing, did you? kind of depart from the, the waterfowl or did you, did well, you do the, both for a while? You know, I, I just kind of dabbled with the fishing a little bit at that time. Um, I had a lot going on, um, with my real job, you know, and, and I was kind of, uh, I was working on my master's degree. I had little kids at home and I had a lot going on and I just didn't have enough time to go around for everything. And that was really what led me to stop guiding waterfowl hunts was that, um, I was just busy. I just had a lot going on. Yeah. Just, yeah. Time. And I hope everybody listening understands this. You know, there's a lot of guys that are still doing what you're doing. They have another job, and guiding is something that they enjoy, and they get to do it on the side. But I'm glad that you were able to make a decision that, hey, I can't guide all the time, and I still got family, and you want to be part of both of those that's worlds right. and education. So that's that's just real life down here. We just had to prioritize what was important and, and try to make the best decisions for the Friends, there's something that you and I both know to be true in regards to real estate. You're either spending or you're making money. You know, every time you take a trip down to the coast, you're probably needing somewhere to stay. That costs money, and there's a number of folks that are making money on those places. You ever thought you might be able to be one? When your kids go over to College Station, whether they're a student at Blinn or Texas A&M University, they have to have somewhere to stay. You're paying someone. Someone owns it. Have you ever wondered what the investment opportunities might be in a Texas town to have a nice place by the water or to provide a safe, convenient living place for your student while they live in Aggieland? I want to introduce you to one of our sponsors that specializes in that investment opportunity. Warren Green and his team at Weikert Realtors and Bryan College Station serve not only the Bryan College Station area, but they serve Rockport, Texas as well. Rockport is well known for its quaint, beautiful Texas scenery, fishing opportunities, family fun. And Aggieland, well, if you're an Aggie like I am, you know how sacred it is to all of us. But if you'd like to know what the investment opportunities were, you could try to make some of those dollars on a piece of property rather than just give them away. Give Warren and his team a call at Weicker Realtors and Bryan College Station. Look them up on the web, www.weichertbcs.com. That's Weicker Realtors and Bryan College Station, serving your Bryan College Station and Rockport, Texas real estate investment opportunities. No two. You get your captain's license. What was the first boat you were running? I had a 22-foot Pathfinder. Okay. Uh, with a 200. I had a 200-horse VMAX Yamaha on it. It was a it was a pretty slick boat. For, there was a, there was a number time. of Pathfinders those days. Bink was in the Pathfinder yeah. business. You were running a Pathfinder. That's and, right. They were pretty hot back then. Yeah. Uh, the old Florida boat, wasn't it? Uh-huh. And, uh, yep. and so you ran that. Uh, when, you, when you left Pathfinder, what did you end up running? 
Oh gosh, I've had a whole long string of boats. I've had shoal waters, several shoal waters. I, um, I've had uh, I had a little East Cape skiff out yeah. of Florida for a while. That was a lot of fun. That I, I didn't guide out of that. That was just uh, just for fun. Um, and then more recently, you know, I, I ran a I had a twenty four foot boat rack that I that I fished in for about the last six years. Yeah, and. Uh, well, and, and you know, I'm an aluminum guy right now, and so it was always I always looked for ging at the ramps because if our boats bumped into each other, it wasn't that big of a deal. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> you know, the old aluminum, the old aluminum barges with uh, you know Makarov and a few others are out there, but you know these nice fiberglass. But recently, you've been fortunate enough to step into another rig, haven't you? I did. I, I ended up this year. It was time to to upgrade, make a change. I did a. a a lot of shopping and looking around and visited with a number of the of the different manufacturers and ended up placing an order uh, last summer and and I just just um, took delivery of a new 25 foot Haney Magnum and got through Chris's Marine through and those Chris's guys Marine, yeah. mm-hmm. well yeah. you know it's uh if you're around Matagorda especially around the Sunrise Lodge area there's a few of those Haney's on the water there's a few of them there's that's right and so uh, so you've been running now for about two months, I think, is when you got it, right? That's about right, yeah. And so you're, you're getting comfortable with it. You, you're familiar with how they run because so many of your buddies have run them. Yep, and that's I'm sure right. Yep. You ran plenty of test runs. So what's one or two, uh, maybe three things? It's not so much – it may be what the boat does or can do, but what surprised you in this new rig compared so, to all the other boats you've ran? So, you know, the, the thing is there's not any perfect boat. Right. And every single one's a compromise, and you just got to kind of decide which way you want to go and what's going to be the – what are you going to give up in order to get something else? So I kind of weighed it out, and, and uh, I really – you know, I, I'm, I've been really, really pleased with the ride, and that was one of the big factors in, um, in going that direction. I don't, I don't think that there's – I don't think I've ever been in any other bay boat that rode as well as that Magnum rides. Um, you know, it's fast. It's – it's smooth. What do you have on the back of it? You got I've the- got a 350 Verado. Whoo! So, um, runs good, rides good. It's got a lot of room. Yeah. Um, I like boats that are, you know, rigged out, clean and simple, mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of good open space. They've done a lot of thought into those holes. Uh, yeah, I've been on a lot of you know those of y'all that run them. I've been able to to fish on them, and it, it's it it's a nice boat. I mean, it's, it's a well thought out boat. Plenty of storage for us, you know, for what we for what we need to do. It's got, you know, it's just it's a no nonsense fishing boat. It just sure, um, you know, it just gets the job done. And you're running the twin power poles on this one. I have twin, right. yes, sir, twin power poles, and, um, and you didn't I, have that on the boat ride. I had one on the boat ride, right. Right. and and the issue is, you know, with those bigger boats and the wind, you, you break them a lot. They twist, mm-hmm. and you you know, I had a number of times that I, you know, had broken parts and broken bolts and everything else on that thing and and uh so i decided to go with two and it does make a huge difference it's well, been a that's been a big a big plus and depending on the wind does i know on mine i dropped my power pole but then i got to set another stakeout stick on the front side right and and i don't know which one i can trust you know i mean that's it's right. kind of and so the uh but anything anything new with the technology or the the gps and all that stuff you're running that is just just kind of well, GPS is pretty close to what I had. I've, I'm a Garmin fan, and I've I stuck with a with Garmin. Got a nine inch Garmin on there, and it, it does it does fine. It's pretty much the same as they've been for a number of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I did get um, 
I got the power pole charge system on it, which is a little different. And it's kind of an interesting, uh, you know, charging system where it'll char it charges your batteries while you're running, uh, charges all your trolling motor batteries, monitors while you're running, while you're running, uh, monitors the battery use and can shift power from one to the other as needed, um, and, and tops everything off while you're running. And then also is a onboard, like a regular onboard charger that you can plug in. And so when you get back to the when slip, you get back and lift in, it up. plug it in, and it, yeah, it charges everything up and is ready to go next time. You and you're running what six batteries on that boat? I've got uh, five batteries, five batteries, mm -hmm. two cranking batteries, and then and then the three, three trolling the motor. motor. Mm -hmm. You ran that yep. Minn Kota. Altera. Yeah. yeah, I've got an Altera. And that little spot lock's pretty nice, it's isn't it? It's real the, nice. The that, that's probably one of the bigger, probably one of the bigger uh, advancements and one of the things that's really changed kind of what I do and how I fish. That, that trolling motor is something else when it comes to boat control and, you know, how I approach places. Mm -hmm. and, and even when we're drift fishing, I can adjust drifts and things like that. It makes a big difference. And then especially... Right. Fishing any kind of structure, fishing the river, those kind of things, it makes a big difference. And, you know, when you're on top of where the fish are, to be able to stay quiet and not, even the quietest four-stroke is not going to compare to That's dropping right. a trolling motor over and easing in and out of where you want to be. That's right. You can get in, get in on them quietly and then hold yourself there. Um, you know, fishing the jetties, fishing the surf, you can, you know, work your way along and stop where you need to stop and... Uh, not have to not have to mess with uh, an anchor and a rope and everything. It makes a huge difference. Well, and then when you're in the shallow enough water to deploy your power poles, you that's get the right. best of both worlds. That's right. You, you know, kind of paired up. That's right. You know, I, I I hadn't even been caught up yet on the trolling motor technology about three or four years ago, and I was down at the Matagorda jetties. You know how that water can rip through there. And I look over, and one of our friends on the boat that we both know, he had that anchor. And just, I'm, I'm watching him. And I'm like, his boat ain't moving. But there's no anchor lines. Yep. And he did, I mean, he did not move three feet. And here I am wondering, do I throw two cinder blocks? Because you don't throw a good <laughs> anchor at the jetties, you know. And, and I, I have to admit, a little bit of jealousy came up when I saw that boat just stay. And the thing that, uh, the first time I fished the jetties in mine, it ran nonstop for several hours while we sat and fished. And, and one of the things that I've been very impressed with with those trolling motors, they just don't use that much battery. I mean, you you can run it for hours and you get back in and you still have uh, half charge or more. It's, it's something else. That right there is a technology that I don't know if we appreciate. I can remember days where we would take an extra trolling motor battery. Right. Because you could get halfway through the day and... It was a no-go because right. that sucker didn't want to turn anymore. And it wasn't running full-time all day. Like, you know, that was on and off. And, uh, you know, these these that's a pretty big advancement. Well, you know, the 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 contrast here that uh, Captain Ging's telling us about, boat rights are good boats. I've, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I know the one you ran. I fished right next to you many a times. And they do everything the best way aluminum boat can possibly do. But to go from a 24, was it the big shell or? Yeah. The 24 I think that's big what they shell. call them now. It's a, yeah. Yeah. And where you had tons of space for customers. Yeah. Kids kids were great. It's like a big dance floor on the front of that boat. Absolutely. And now you got something, a little bit of V on it. You probably didn't mind it the first time you were in a little bit of chopper. I, I know the boat right ran well. Don't, I'm not, uh, that's a good boat, but that Haney runs a little bit. It's it's so much sweeter. better and, it, and it's easier on my knees and my back. You know, I can already tell a difference um, when you go. Day after day, you can. You, it's there's a huge difference on, 
on how sore well, I am. The, and, you know, you get like us and we're mid-40s going into 50s, I'm sure that, right. <laughs> that there's enough out there to certain. Well, congratulations on the new oh, rig. You. I know you're going to be pleased with, uh, you know, Chris and his buddies down there. They take care of so many friends of mine. They do an awesome job. They've been great to deal with. I didn't, and, and that's one of the main reasons I think we're seeing a few more Haney's in Matagorda than we so. used to. It's a good all-around boat, well-built. They do what they say they do. Uh, they stand behind them. It's just, it's just a good product. Cool, man. Congratulations. We're down Texas. We're down Texas. So here we are. Uh, you know, on episode one, we kind of talked about getting caught up from the freeze. Uh, and, you know, Captain Grimes and I were talking about how when the freeze happened, none of us really knew. We, we wanted to be optimistic. We didn't know how much. Some folks were getting out on social media preaching doom and gloom, but the good news is they were wrong. Uh, our base system is in a healthier place than we expected it to be. Absolutely, absolutely. I, you know, we were we were pretty guarded and just kind of. I just kind of wanted to sit back. I knew that. I mean, there was no doubt we were going to lose fish. There's sure. no doubt. It, you know, water doesn't get that cold, and you don't lose fish. And then. You know, and we saw what floated up. Uh, you know, I, I made several trips out and rode East Bay and looked around. I went over and, and looked around Palacios, looked around, you know, everything that that I could think of during that time where I could get to it. Um, we went and looked at and we saw we saw what was floating up and we saw what wasn't floating up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that so, may tell just as much of the story. Of what's not floating up is what That's you saw, because right. that right. tells us what didn't get impact, what That's didn't right. get hit so hard. Yeah, you know, and I didn't see much in the West Bay side, the river, and that kind of stuff. There was a lot of we lost a lot of fish in East Bay. There's no doubt we lost a lot of fish. There's but, even though there is access, there's less access to deep water in East Bay, right, than in West Bay. And and the fish that came out of East Bay into the canal looking for deep water, you know, then we ended up having the the barges running and they sure. were washing them up on the bank and rolling them around and everything. And I think that killed a bunch of fish too. Yeah. Well, you know, about a week ago, you and I were visiting and, and you shared a, what I think is a, a, a pretty spot on philosophy about when our spring tide started, you thought that, Hey, that's what's bringing our fish back. Uh, you know, I, and that's kind of what I've seen is that, um, even for the fish we lost, we already, even early on, uh, you know, Bink and I had uh, a day that we went right after, not long after the freeze and went and just kind of looked around a little bit and, and, and we had each had separate groups. We went out and we made some drifts and we caught trout and redfish that, that day. And since then, it's just kind of picked up a little by little. And I've noticed in a lot of the, a lot of the days I'm over there, you know, we've been chasing redfish and drum and, and doing all of that. And uh, spent a lot of time doing that this spring, and I've just noticed that on those those days where we've got big tides, where we've got a big tide ripping in and it's sucking green water, you know, all the way from the Gulf through the uh, all the way, you know, through Mitchell's Cut and all the way down mm-hmm. the intercoastal, um, we're up there shallow chasing redfish and we're catching good trout, and they're they're thick, healthy trout, and I just feel like really feel like those fish are, are fish that probably are moving back in that we're catching on those good tide days that we're catching some fish that are trickling back in and it's gotten the fishing in the in east bay has has gotten better um been some really nice catches recently um some good quality fish Mm -hmm. and and so i'm not saying that hey it's as good as it ever was or as good as it was last year but 
but it's not as bad as it could be. Sure. And so, you know, second week of May, we've seen the recovery, and mm-hmm. I guess that's the fairest word to use. Anybody who's been on the water is definitely glad to see it. Absolutely. You know, uh, yep. I've mentioned before, there's so many families whose lives and industries revolve around Matagorda being healthy, and we need that fishery to be healthy. And, um, and so here we are, middle of May, looking into the end of May. It stays warm. It gets warmer. What do you key on going into those last two to three weeks of May, you know, into that first half of June? Because summer is coming, but it, it doesn't always just hit with a bang. How does that affect the fishery? Yeah, every year's a little different, and you know, um, that time period's kind of a kind of a transition time for us, where we're going from, you know, some of our early spring patterns moving into summer. Um, We we a lot of times that time of year we're we're fighting a lot of southwest wind, and you struggle with that some. And anytime you hear west in the wind, it's not it's it's a harder day than it's not our friend. Southwest is tough. Last year we had a lot of southwest wind in in uh, May and, and early June, you know, and it and it really it makes it tough. That's no doubt about it. We struggle on those on those periods, but at the same time we're starting to see you know the fish are getting up on the grass flats in West Bay. Uh, they're you know on shell in East Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, the days when the wind cooperates, we get out and drift and in the middle of the bay and and do well. Um, you, you know, wade fishing's good. All the all the stuff down the far end of West Bay. You know, from um, you know oil field, mm-hmm. cottons, greens down through there. It starts clean up and clean. And, and hopefully the, the baits there. And the hopefully fish the sharks up. hadn't found them yet. Oh, mm-hmm. They'll be there. They'll, they'll be, be there. there. But um, but yeah, it's kind of it's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, moving into June, it starts to stabilize. But when you get those days with that southeast wind and those big puffy white clouds and mm-hmm. it, those are those are great days it's consistent fishing and uh and you know they're they're going to be where they're supposed to be you you'll be able to get them on those days well and typically that's the time of year where you start just looking for the big balls of bait on that south shore line of west bay and you can set up you can definitely hit them waiting and you can hit them drifting if if you know if you set the boat and be patient uh and the cool thing is is that time of year you got the guys that are throwing live bait and you got the guys that are throwing the plastics and the days you can throw the tops and everybody, everybody has a good that's chance a good, of getting that's it. That's right. It's a good time of year you, for, you can do it however you want to do it. Sure. You know, that time of year, everything's, everything's going. And, um, so if you, if you want to go wade with plastics and top waters, that's, it's, that's the time. Uh, if you, you know, but we're, we're still, we do a lot of, a lot of drifting with shrimp that time of year yeah. and it's good too. So it's kind of just whatever you want to do. Well, then, you know, one of the newer uh, investments in the Matagorda Bay system that everybody knows about, I'm not sharing with you a trade secret here. If you fish around Matagorda, you've heard about the new Big Reef. Oh, yeah. And uh, you and I have, have partnered on that reef. I, I absolutely <laughs> remember one morning uh, I had some buddies down, and we're bumping around down there, and Glenn had a trip. And, man, and my phone rings, and he's like, hey, is that you on the other end? I was like, yeah. And he's like, get over here and get right in front of me. And I said, all right. So I, I, I came down. I killed my big motor. I trolling motored up. And like, set power pole right there. And I set power pole. It's on the shallow end uh-huh. of that reef. And <laughs> he called me again and said, man, these guys have been swarming all around us, and there's fish here. And we, 
I just needed somebody to help me block them. And, <laughs> and both our boats sat there and caught fish for the next hour. I mean, it was kind of like That's right. with those two aluminum sleds, we kind of just set a barrier up, and they all left us alone. That's right. Um, yep. But, you know, that the, the neat thing that I like about Big Reef is it's wide open. You know, you can take folks that aren't the best at casting. They're not the, you know, and they can they can learn it a little, uh, but you have to have the right wind for that area. It's a it's a fabulous place to fish. It holds a lot when it's it really right. Does. It holds a lot of it fish, does. and it's amazing how many boats can get on that thing and everybody catch fish. Mm-hmm. And we see it, you know, throughout the throughout the summer. It's it's good. Starts up, you know, by May it'll be good. Sure. And, uh, and uh, when you catch it right, you just have to play the wind because it's big and open, and it gets really nasty. Mm-hmm. When the wind comes up, it gets really nasty. Well, if you come from Matagorda, and I know I've done this, maybe it's because I'm a little slower to catch it all than y- y'all are. But even if I just think, well, maybe that wind's going to let me get out there. I have made that run all the way down past Oyster Lake, and when you come around that corner, you don't have to go but about 200 yards, and you know. We've all done it. Am I going to go or – and the deal is, if you make that commitment, you're down there. You're, there's, yeah, there's it, not a lot. There's not a whole lot of plan Bs no. from there. And, and, and maybe in those bigger boats like y'all run, you can jump over to Granger Cottons. You may mm-hmm. not want to, but what a lot of people uh, tend to forget is that end of the bay system. I've mentioned Oyster Lake. It still holds a lot of fish. It does. And I know the entrances have changed over time, and, and people are scared to get in there. But study your maps. Pay yeah. attention. That is still a fun place to get in there, and Absolutely. especially the red. And I've heard a good trout caught in there. Yeah, there, we, we had some really good days on trout I know in you've done well in Oyster Lake. Too. Absolutely. I love fishing. I've fished Oyster Lake for many years, and, and it's, you know, it's like any other place. When it's good, it's wonderful. Sure. And, and then when it's not, it's it's not. But uh, it's it. It still coughs up a lot of fish. It's still a good spot. Well, and, and talking about the back lakes, I know the last six years where you ran that uh, that shallow water boat, I know you, you hunt because we bumped into each other some of those back lakes. Yeah. This spring pattern, you know, as we're talking about fishing it and looking in this, the summer transitions that are coming, how do you really set up successfully in those in those back lakes? What are you looking for? Well, you know, in the spring, you got a lot of small bait fish that's yeah. hatching out. Those back lakes will fill up with shad, little shad, and, and you know, small glass minnows, finger mullet, and shrimp, yep. and everything else. I mean, it's, those they're, those back lakes are where all of that stuff is born and raised. And a glass minnows, they're usually our first to show, right? That's right, yeah. And But the, the little shad will be in there really thick. And um, and so, of course, you, you're going to have a lot of redfish in there, flounder, and, mm-hmm. and maybe some trout here and there, too. But um, they stay pretty pretty consistent, but it's real dependent on really to, on water levels mm-hmm. and where the fish are. You know, the, the higher that tide goes, the further they're going to be in the backcountry. Well, and, and some folks, uh, I know a lot of boats think back lakes when the high tides have pushed and they start to fall. Uh-huh. What I've noticed... If you're out there with the high tide, go ahead and ride it in there because, as you said, they're going to go as far back as the water will let them. Yep. Those redfish are going as, as shallow as they can go. They're going to be all and, the way in the back. And while I always want to encourage, um, you know, I run a shallow boat, uh, and so I, I, I look at folks, and I've, I've had some guys ask if they could help me show them how to get somewhere, and I said, you can't follow me in that flats cat. <laughs> it's just not – it wouldn't be a good idea to come. Yeah. So – 
pay attention to those water levels. We don't want anybody to be stupid and, and get in danger That's back right. there, but there's a lot of fish caught in the back lakes. There's a lot, a lot of opportunity there. A lot of people are learning it, and there's a lot more people in there. You know, there's a lot more. Those back lakes are getting a lot more pressure. Sure. And and just depending on the day, you know, if you um, you get a windy day when it's a little tough fishing, well, there's going to be a whole lot of people are going to run to the back lakes and, and to get out of the wind. And please remember, when you're in those back lakes, those shorelines are just as sacred as our other shorelines. And don't go, don't go burning down the shorelines, guys. It's you can you can shut them down in a hurry with too much boat and, traffic. And you can shut them down, and they don't recover in a yeah. couple hours. You right. blow out a shoreline, and we might as well put a sign up saying "out of business for a while." For sure. And so you're yeah. looking at, you know, you're talking about how the the the, the, the tides, the the window starts to settle down a little bit. Uh-huh. Hopefully, it won't blow 15 to 20, as they say in Matagorda. If it says 10 to 15, add them together, <laughs> and that's a little bit. That's yeah, a little bit. They add 10 to it. Whatever <laughs> and then they're add 10 to whatever, it. Whatever they're forecasting, add 10 to it, and you'll be pretty close. And so, you know, we're looking for that. The the slicks that we're looking for in May, you'll still find some. They don't seem to be as predominant they'll, going they'll, into June. And they'll pop up. They'll pop, you know, going down the – you'll see them in West Bay down the shorelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll see them in the evenings a lot down there. Um, and we see lots of slicks in East Bay all summer, starting sure. up in May. You know, as soon as those – as long as they're eating bait fish, then they're going to be slicks. Right. And so, um, you know, we, it's, it's definitely something to be, to be mindful of and be watching for. Yeah, and so from a, from a pattern standpoint, I find it interesting in, in different guides and just good fishermen, not, not you know, not, a lot of good fishermen that don't guide, but they'll tell me over the years, one year they find themselves gravitating to West Bay a little more. One time they find themselves gravitating to East Bay, and then you have those purists that say, I only fish East Bay, or I only fish West sure. Bay. Mm-hmm. Man, I've, I've been down around the docks enough when you're out there, and I've seen you go right, I've seen you go left, I've seen you in the surf, I've seen you at the jetty. Do you find yourself just kind of going to where you know that there's good catches of fish, or do you do you try to do you see it fifty fifty, or is it I, just? I like it all, and so I'm always I'm always torn because there's things that I like to do in both bays and and you know and of course love the surf love the jetties but i you know growing up and and even in my early adult life we we basically fished east bay from the time the birds would get working mm-hmm. until the glassmans would show up yep. and then when the glassman showed up then we'd move to west bay yep. and we'd be there until the birds started working yep. and and that's just kind of how we did it so, always, so october to may you were in east bay that's it. And, and then the rest of the time you're in west, bay. west bay and that's just kind of how we did it for the most part um in fact, you know, I went a lot of years there that I didn't, you know, when we were all wading, all we did was pretty much was wade fish back then. And there was a lot of years there. I just didn't think East Bay was worth messing with in the middle of the summer. But we also weren't getting out there and drifting all that shell like we do now out in the middle of the bay. So that's one of the big, big, big changes that, that I've seen over the years is, you know, I, uh, we, we just didn't fish like that. So right. if you were wading the shorelines and yeah, it got slower as it got hotter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we would move down and West Bay has more flow, deeper water, cooler, you know, more sure. oxygen. And so in the summertime, uh, that was just more productive for us. Redemptive.
Let's have some fun. I'm excited to announce to you today that we are partnering with our sponsor, Weikert Realtors and Bryan College Station, and we are offering a two-night free-of-charge stay at a custom bay house that overlooks St. Charles Bay in Rockport, Texas, in a gated community. There will be some restrictions applied, but let me tell you the easy way that you're going to be able to put your name in for this wonderful opportunity to enjoy a couple nights at such a beautiful bay house at a beautiful place. You simply go on Facebook, you follow both Texas Podcast and Blast and Weikert Realtors slash BCS Facebook pages. You find the post that we will both put out there that talks about this giveaway. You simply like it and you make a comment. In the comment section, just share with us one outdoor topic that you would love to see included on Texas Podcast and Blast. Remember, you have to find both Facebook pages, like this post that talks about the giveaway, and comment What's your favorite topic that you'd love to see included on Texas Podcast and Blast? With that, we will enter your name in, and at the end of the month of May, we will simply draw out one lucky winner for that two-night stay free of charge at the Bay House that I'm referring to that overlooks St. Charles Bay. I promise you, you and your family or you and who you choose to take with you will enjoy such a splendid opportunity and a great time of year just to get out and enjoy God's creation. So find those Facebook pages, Texas Podcast and Blast, Wyker Realtors, BCS. Like the comment section of this post, put your comment which favorite outdoor topic you'd love to see on this podcast, and we'll let you know who wins. So we're here with Captain Glenn Ging that fishes out of Matagorda, Texas, and Glenn, I just got to ask you. Man, there's been times I've seen you fish with older couples, and they've caught fish. I've seen you catch fish with uh, younger adults that are good at what they do. And the thing I've been most impressed with is the way that you take a young family that has kids, and your patience and the way you handle those young ones is really impressive. And so could you kind of share with us how you go about and what you would encourage folks? Because a lot of people here take a kid fishing, but it's not as easy as it sounds all the time. Sure. Yeah, you know, for me, I just kind of approach it a little bit differently. I mean, every group's different, and even with adults, every group's different. You got to kind of feel them out, and you got to see what their skill level is. You see what they can do and what they can't do, mm-hmm. and then we kind of make adjustments from there and see until we get, you know, what what fits and what works for them. There's, um, there's, I've had groups with with young kids who could get out there and drift fish, and I've got. Had young, I've got several young anglers that fish with me that they they can throw lures and do the whole deal. Right. You know, it just you just kind of have to figure out where they're at. Other groups, you may have to go anchor up somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's and that's the best that they can that they can do. You just got to match it to what they want, what their skill set is, and kind of what they want to do. And and uh, the biggest thing is to go in and be patient. Just you got to get your mind right. Yep. We're you know, not every trip has to be setting the world on fire with. Right. Massive boxes of fish. Right. And and a lot of times what for a lot of us might be a, a just a so-so day may be the very best day that somebody else has ever had. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you got to make it fun. You got to keep it moving. Um, you know, you got to kids, kids will get bored easily. And so you, you need action. You need keep mm-hmm. things interesting. Um, you know, they like boat riding and they like looking at birds and they like looking at dolphins oh, and yeah. all of that kind of stuff the just back as much as see an alligator Abs- and... go see, exactly <laughs> go look at alligators uh whatever it is take the time to enjoy those things as well as the fishing and then 
you know, and just have fun with them. That's that's kind of what I, I I enjoy those family trips, mm-hmm. and I really love taking kids fishing. And that's probably one of the one of the best things that one of the things I like most about what I do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, you just kind of have to just get your mind right. And this is what we're gonna yeah. do today. And we're gonna and and they can catch fish, and they will catch fish. Yeah. And what you're describing is you really got to set your expectations. That's right. Uh, one of the wisest things an older gentleman once told me when I was trying to get my son whose name's Wade Fisher, and you know Wade. And, yeah. Um, man, I wanted to get him. I wanted him to fall in love with it like I love it. And the first thing I do is I take him out on a buddy. He's a guide, and we're pre-fishing for a tournament. I learned real quick, me getting on the boat with some pre-tournament guys uh-huh. is probably not the best place for a five- or six-year-old. Now, <clears throat> we dropped them off. They loved it because we kept the boat up with uh-huh. them, you know, so they were wading one area, and, and we hooked in some great redfish that day. But I just realized for the younger kids and older gentlemen, said, man, spend time on a dock or a pier before you ever get them on the boat. Get them familiar with that Snoopy rod, that spin sure. cast, that Zebco. They will move to a bait caster maybe one day. Don't. Yeah. If you like your bait casters, don't even put them on the boat that day because they may mistake them and grab the wrong thing. But, you know, the idea of laying out a plan, have six or seven ideas in your head. Right. And know, yep. all right, if I'm going to take this loop, I'm going to come out here. We're going to get checked that out. We're going to jump over here. We're going to jump over there. That's going to put That's us right. at 10 o'clock. That's right. When I got kids, I usually I try to move more and try to yeah. break up the day and and uh, to where we hit more spots and we kind of do a lot more moving around because every time you stop, you kind of – refocus and and you'll you know they'll fish hard for a little while and then mm-hmm. some some of them you might get 10 or 15 minutes of of you know of attention span and interest yeah. and some of them uh, they might go for an hour you can never tell i've got kids that fish just as hard as any adult and so yeah you just have to kind of and then the casting we that's no big deal i teach them to cast and you know 30 minutes i'll have them fishing it's not a problem man you know? I, i've seen kids Learn how to cast a lot better than some of the 35 and 40 year olds I put Absolutely. on my boat. Absolutely. Give, give me them. about an eight or 10 year old girl, <laughs> yeah. and I'll have her out casting well, everybody. Because, you know, they, I always say those those little girls, they'll listen to what you uh, what you tell them and they'll do it. And, you know, they're they're pretty good fisher ladies. Yeah, I like uh, one story that an old guy used to say his favorite flounder fisherman was a four year old. He says, man, you could throw that mud mint on and sling it out there. Put that rod in that four-year-old and said, do not reel. But that little four-year-old couldn't resist it, and they would reel it as slow as humanly possible. And every single time, whack! I mean, there was a thump on the end. That flat fish would come in. And, you know, the fun thing is um, I think kids still love the outdoors. Absolutely. Everybody's telling us that all kids want to do is is look at screens and video games. And there's a lot of that, but – you know, a household's got to balance that. Kids may not grow up running the creeks. and I mean, not all of us were a, a young one living down by the jetty park that's like right. you were. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's different in, in the in the world that's coming in today. But I strongly encourage I mean, it, the kids around you, introduce them to the outdoors. Take them to those neighborhood parks up in, in the big cities and places y'all live. Buy the red and white bobber and put a worm on it. Let them fill that pull and tug. Very few things are as rewarding as taking a kid and and uh, and sharing the outdoors with them, whether it's fishing or whether it's hunting or, or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. There's very few things that are as rewarding as sharing that with them. You know, and, and the cool thing about Matagorda, 
as long as lightning and thunderstorms aren't keeping us off the water, we can find somewhere to fish. That's right. Yeah. We can find somewhere. We can we can snug up in a There's in a corner. Yeah, that's right. And so you know, it's the uh, once again on this podcast, we just want to share with you what's going on in the world down here in the outdoors. Uh, as Glenn has mentioned, uh, we like where Matagorda is. We don't know just how good it is yet, but it's better than what we expected coming out of this. And May will tell us a lot. I think we won't know much until about December where we look at the whole year and say, hey, what did that pattern do? Uh, but whether you're drifting it out, whether you're wading the bait or the lures, have fun doing it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, pay attention, watch and the patterns. Adjust, adjust your expectations. It's still fun. There's still fish. You're still going to catch fish. Even even if even if this year ends up being slower, there's plenty of fun to be had. Get some friends together. Get out in the sunshine. Enjoy your day. And, you know, just uh, you know, it, it, it just adjust adjust your expectations for what for what we have and take it for what it is and come down and have fun. Sure. Well, you know, the old uh, Captain Mickey Eastman taught us how to do this. And uh, one thing any guest I have on this show, I do want people to know how to get in touch with this. They want to go fishing with the, the world-famous Captain Glenn Ging. Man, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Just give me a call, 979-479-1460. Or you can you can look me up on uh, the Internet at, at glennsguideservice.com uh, or on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Cool. Well, thanks again for being on Texas Podcast and Blast, and I hope everyone just enjoyed hearing a little bit more about what's going on live down here. Come see us. Thank Take you, care. Matt. Thanks again for tuning in to Texas Podcast and Blast, and I hope you enjoyed that episode with Captain Glenn Ging. To check more out about Texas Podcast and Blast, follow us on Facebook and Instagram under the name Texas Podcast and Blast, or shoot us an email at texaspodcastandblast at gmail.com. We hope to continue to bring good content with professionals in the industry that are really good at what they do. Get outside and enjoy it, folks. Let's be safe. Let's conserve. Let's use common sense. And most of all, let's enjoy God's creation. Take care. We're down to Texas.